you made it to ninety three ninety four, a music podcast with Travis Roy. How are you today? I don't know how it works in other countries necessarily, but in America, most parts of America anyway, you go to middle school from sixth to eighth grade, and then high school is ninth through twelfth grade. So that summer between middle school and high school is a really memorable age. Like most people, I was about 14 during that summer, and that was the summer of 94, the summer that Weezer's debut album, self-titled, The Blue Album, whatever you want to call it, uh, when that came out. It was also right around the time I started becoming very close with today's guest, Eric Branstrom. Eric and I went to the same high school, went to the same middle school, and we both just were bored to fucking tears by the whole experience and did everything we could to amuse ourselves and whoever else happened to be around. So when we met and finally had some classes together in the end of eighth grade, a connection was formed that has been lifelong. You may be very used to listening to me and Eric talk to one another, actually. Eric has been, along with our friend Mike Govier, a co-host on my other podcast, the Cinema 9 podcast, where we talk about movies that we grew up watching for the most part. But it was a delight to get to talk to Eric about this album and to talk with him about music. We have a lot of memories together, and uh, we're going to unearth some of them inside jokes and all with you. So thank you for joining us. It would be an understatement to call Weezer's Blue Album a classic. It is like a disc in the spine of America's pop culture. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. It is a foundational point, I believe. So here we are talking about it. Thanks for joining us. My name is Thanks for all you've shown us This is how we feel Come sit next to me Pour yourself some tea Just like Grandma made when Couldn't bite me Things were better then Once but never again We've all left the den And tight right Choo-choo train left right on What's up, man? How you doing? I figured this was apropos. I mean, this is goof times, goof rock, geek, geek rock, Weezer. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, you, you do know it's an audio only podcast. No one will see this but me, but I do appreciate it. It's just for you. I literally bought these at Sunglass Hut just for you. Aww, just for this intro. They look like they're worth every dollar. I <laughs> know, <laughs> <Right on>, man. <laughs> How you doing? Good, man. You? Yeah, I'm good. Good to see you. Fresh out of Well, you ready to get started? We got a juggernaut here. I'm, I'm, I have a lot to say. Do I have to like do anything special again, like as if we just saw each other for the intro? That's why I record from the get-go, oh, okay. so I can, so I can cool. use that authentic greeting. Um, no, that's exactly... I hate the second, hey, how are you? It's fucking bullshit, you know? I'd rather have a stilted hello while we both wait for the audio to connect. <laughs> Excited about the trivia. Uh, I've got one very special for you. I can't wait. Yeah, I got a very tailored one just for us. All right, let's get into it. He, Albert Bansom, Eric Branstrom, co-host of mine on the Cinema 9 podcast, 
thank you so much for joining me here at 9394. It means a lot to me that you come on. It means so much to me that you accepted my request to come on to talk about this legendary album. I'm really excited, man. I really like what you have going on here. And uh, I have nothing but great things to say about this program. Every episode has been fucking fantastic. I've learned so much about music. There's some that I haven't heard of in like 25, 30 years. And it's bringing me back to a lot of old albums that I have yet to rediscover, not just the one that I'm here to talk about, but just music in general from that era has been a lot of fun to talk about. Dude, everything you're telling me is music to my ears. I'm getting friends of mine to like revisit the era of that music and kind of get extra nostalgic because that's the secondary (laughs) thing about this. It's the nostalgia indulgence and it's, you know, help Travis (laughs) relive his glory days. (laughs) And I swear like this album, these four assholes in front of that blue fucking background has got to be one of the most iconic images and one of the most iconic things from the era, from our lives. I'm really excited to talk about it. So do you remember how you got into this album? Yeah, very vividly remember the summer of 1994 watching uh, an episode of Late Night with Conan O'Brien over at our pal Jimmy's house in his basement, the legendary basement on the brown couch, the original. Nice. And Jimmy and I had never heard of them. Conan introduced his band Weezer. We kind of chuckled at the name of the band. And they were doing Undone the Sweater Song. And Jimmy was recording it because he would record all of the acts back in the day because Conan knew his shit. He knew what to program on Late Night. Always great stuff. And we just rewound it and just watched it and watched it and watched it. We had never heard anything like it, especially in the summer of 94. It's a month after Kurt Cobain died and things were changing, man. Grunge was on its way out. And this is one of those first key elements of that foundation that was going to be post-grunge. So that's a very memorable moment in my mind. It was a bit of a breath of fresh air, wasn't Mm -hmm. it? I remember the first song I heard of theirs was Undone, the sweater song, too. I don't remember exactly the instance under which I heard it. I'm guessing it was probably on 89X because I have no recollection of a music video. (laughs) But I have a really strong memory because that was the summer between eighth grade middle school and ninth grade high school. Yep. Like, that was one of the biggest summers of my life. That's when I fucking, like, discovered drugs and discovered a bunch of albums and started my first band. And, like, it was just, like, yeah. really just a magic time in my life. The summer was insane. Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, Shawshank. That summer was insane for movies, too. Yeah, it was a fucking nuts summer. And I remember Mike Neal, who was my best friend all yep. through middle school. Absolutely. He moved away that summer. But right before he left, I remember, mm-hmm. like, he and I would walk i mean and everybody including our friend and co-host at cinema nine mike govier we would walk the back sub of my neighborhood just all day long <laughs> back and forth and i wore chuck taylor's like chuck all-stars mm-hmm. and my arches fell they collapsed so like it was just like exquisite pain for six months as i became <laughs> flat-footed i sink and i die if you want to destroy my I remember like cropping around through the weeds, just singing this song with Mike Neal, with my feet hurting in the hot summer, and just like suburban weeds, and just, just so <laughs> new and fresh. And like you know, and all we knew was the chorus, you know. And so we just sang that over and yep. over again. We had no fucking clue what it was about. We'll talk about the underpinnings of the lyrics in a little bit. I hope, 
but it was just such as like this slack jawed song this this frumpy shabby song that came right after like i said grunge and it kind of ushers in this weird new sound man and like once these videos started popping travis like i'm watching them on mpv i'm watching the buddy holly video mm-hmm. and i'm watching say it ain't so video i'm seeing artists like smile for the first time in a long time on mtv because we had just plotted through this moroseness and this molasses of you know deep and dark and whiny angsty stuff yeah. and just to see a fucking musician smiling and having a good time was really refreshing yeah, you know, I just looked at my uh, list of questions here, and I think we need to back up a tick because we skipped a step. So how do you and I know one another, Eric Randstrom? Oh, my gosh. Oh, boy. This is a, this is a storied history, man. Uh, I remember very vividly a seventh grade Mr. Farner's gym class. I was in the locker room, and I looked over at this kid with glasses and beautiful dark hair. And uh, I thought to myself, this kid looks like someone I could be friends with. He looks like one of us. So I walked up to you and I said, dude, are you into aliens and the paranormal? And you were like, oh, absolutely, man. And I'm like, you watched sightings last night? You're like, I watch sightings every single Friday night or whatever. And I'm like, Ekak, don't wake up. You're like, oh, yeah, that was ridiculous. And hit it off from there, man. I mean... Got hit in the face with a tennis racket about two months later, and, and the rest is history. We go way back. Badminton, for the record. Just mesh, man. <laughs> I don't know. We just meshed. Like, we had so many good times. <laughs> we had so many good times, man. I mean, this is, you know, in middle school, in high school, yeah. and we just made each other really happy, I remember, for, for a lot of years. <laughs> Where yeah. do you start, man? You and I, by the end of high school, we were hanging out outside of school on a very regular basis. <laughs> But earlier on, like, you know, before we had cars, it's not like we were all of your friends pretty much were at school and just fuck off in any class that we had together and just make as many absurdist inside jokes between the two of us. For instance, in brief, we had an entire running joke where it was something where Fred Savage, we disemboweled Fred Savage and then climbed inside of his body and threw it off a bridge yeah. and screamed the wonder years as we went down or something like that. It was very bizarre. That got us through eighth grade. Yeah. <laughs> a, a super fan meets Fred Savage on the Golden Gate Bridge and immediately cuts Fred Savage's head off, no, places it, it inside his own stomach and leaps from the Golden Gate Bridge screaming the wonder years because he's such a fan. Like Krang, right? Kind of like a Krang like, thing. Yeah, like Krang. Putting yeah. Krang's android body. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And we were like 13 years old coming up with that shit. And that's dark. <laughs> it's pretty fucking dark. But we laughed ourselves. But yet, at the same time, we were dissecting animals in Miss Holman's class. So maybe we're just trying to quell some of that dissonance we had from uh, killing poor animals. For sure. And uh, and been friends ever since. For when sure. the earthquake strikes, we shall prevail while others perish. Next. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all I can do. <laughs> What's with his homies dissing my girl? What do they got up front? What did we ever do to these guys that make them so violent? Once you know I'm yours, and I know you're mine. Did you purchase this cassette? have this in your home or did you rely on like your brother's copy of that it wouldn't be the 93 94 podcast unless we talked about the columbia house uh promotion of course (laughs) (laughs) it's become a running gag and very welcome addition to your podcast man and i gotta say like when i took them up on this one cent offer for an album this was in a period of time where i was studying classical piano and trying to teach myself so i had (laughs) i had like 
Beethoven and Satie and Debussy and you know Liszt, and then I had the Crow soundtrack and the Blue Album. Nice. So that's where I got it first, and those were like the two big things that I had for many years. I didn't start getting really heavily into owning physical media in terms of music until quite a bit after that. So yeah, this this was on a rotation for sure. I'm tempted to say that I got my copy from one of my many Columbia House binges too, but there were so many uh, illegal. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, uh, no, I, okay. yeah, no, I think I already mentioned this on the show. It was illegal in that I started like three or four accounts under different names and never oh. paid for any of them, but like illegal, quote unquote. No. I don't know, like, the, what are they going to do? They're going to chase me down in 13. <laughs> I still haven't paid for any of those classical no, uh, no. piano albums or this blue album. I grew up thinking that my credit was going to be fucked because of Columbia House. <laughs> Turned out it didn't matter at all. <laughs> nope, a lot of threats. I've got like an 800 credit score and I didn't pay them shit. 800 for real? That's sky high, man. That's sky high. So listening to this classic rock yeah. album, because it is, it's fucking classic rock if I've ever heard it, do you have a single track you could point out as your favorite? Travis, this was really tricky, man. I spent the past several days just going over this album and over it and over it and having a great time listening to it in its you know 43-minute entirety. This is like trying to pick one of my children, man. This is like trying to pick my favorite parts of like my favorite movie. I mean, it's so cohesively good that it gets really tricky, man, as we've seen a lot in your podcast for a lot of these albums. Yeah. For me, I mean, the favorite's got to be Say It Ain't So, hands down. I mean, that certainly was up for consideration for me. I really kind of was looking at like three or four songs, which is like half the album. So why did you choose Say It Isn't So? <laughs> why did you choose it? Say It, Let It Not Be So? Uh, you know, Rivers Cuomo, he's got this very complicated history. He didn't want to be a front man. He had no confidence in himself as a singer. Uh, he was a great guitar player, but he was a fucking metalhead. I mean, he came to California with this band Avant Garde wanting to do fucking hair metal. <laughs> and some of his early stuff sounds like fucking Rat and Cinderella. Wow. But he really started to come into his own as a, a singer. In this track, I think his voice is fucking on point. Like he's like doing two octaves so beautifully. It's melodic as fuck. And I'm a big melody person and it's tight and it doesn't feel antiquated at all it's a very lyrically powerful song i got to tell you that i did pick up a guitar world magazine now i did like oh, a yeah? three-month stint where i tried to play guitar so i you know get the tabs and like do my thing and sure. it was not working out but they did interview rivers cuomo about say it ain't so and he was talking about how it's a very personal track uh, about his complicated relationship with his father who was a severe alcoholic and how mm -hmm. that eventually dissolved his family and then once his stepfather came along, he would see 
alcohol in the fridge and it would make him very anxious and this is already a very anxious and potentially depressive person uh so this is a very lyrically powerful song and i remember connecting with this at a young age because my father was an alcoholic and he was like a jekyll and hyde type of person where he would be this sweet teddy bear one second and then i'd open up the fridge to get a coke and i'd see this beer in there and it would just kind of fuck me up so i had this kind of personal connection with rivers cuomo at like 13 years old and that never went away and that's always been a big part of me when it comes to this band is always trying to remind myself that they have some dopey songs they got some fucking stupid songs that half the time sound like they're from the wiggles but this is a an artist that also writes very beautiful lyrics that are personal and it can have a profound effect on a teenager so i've always just loved this fucking track because it's so tight and it's very meaningful be cliched and be like oh this like sure. every other album from 93 or 94 was a precursor to emo but uh it kind of <laughs> does feel like that a little bit in particular in this song like the yeah. breakdowns that kind of chug a chug a there's a few other moments on this album that have that but and to get to your point about like the seriousness of this yeah they are so like lopsided and back and forth in terms of like are they goofy and carefree or are they kind of serious and i've always preferred the serious side of them to be honest like this song and my personal favorite which again if i had to pick it's hard i would say the world has turned and left me here is my personal favorite on the track it's so emotive and just like somber but still upbeat in a weird way it comes at a good point in the album it could be a lull but instead you're kind of pulled deeper into the album it's a really strong song i guess it's just a sad kind of breakup song which at that age 94 i, like, yeah. I had not had a single girlfriend yet but i was already practicing mm-hmm. on how to mope and be really sad about being broken <laughs> up with which i got really good at <laughs> It comes at such a fun time in the album, too, because that's a gorgeous song about juvenile heartache. But that's kind of the beauty of it, is that adolescent kind of feel to the track. And it comes right after No One Else, which is a song about him being fucking jealous of his girlfriend. And then the very next track, you got him moping about losing that girlfriend, <laughs> which is very funny because it's like, okay, maybe not tell her to keep her makeup on the shelf if you're not around you controlling prick. Well, that brings me to my next question. <laughs> Do you have a least favorite song on this album? Mm, I mean, that's a tough adjective because all these songs sure. are fucking awesome. 
but I have been known to skip in the garage. Oh, yeah? yeah, I've been known to skip in the garage. I mean, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I mean, I'm not at the same point as a 42 year old man that I was then when I, you know, I listen to this and I embrace it and I identify with being alone in my room and fucking sure. depressed and, you know, borderline. I mean, this whole album is like incel the <laughs> album, but like, I'm just not there anymore. I'm just not there anymore. So I'm kind of like, let's get to the fun stuff because I'm almost home and I want to keep my windows down and finish the cigarette yeah. sort of feel. You know what I mean? That definitely makes sense. I mean, I did spend a lot of time in my bedroom depressed as a teenager. Don't worry about that. But I mean, for sure. me, this is more of a fun song, uh, windows down kind of song because I remember being a kid, me and my brother, we didn't play Dungeons and Dragons, but we played like other role-playing games. And so it'd be like, oh, I've got a 12-sided die and I like Nightcrawler and all this kind of stuff. It's like, it's like this song's about me. Um, so, you know. <laughs> But for me, the weakest song on the album, and I agree, there's not a song on this album that I think sucks or anything remotely like that. I mean, this yeah. entire album is, I hold it close to my heart, but I've gotten to where, mm -hmm. you know, I kind of thought I was going to feel like the weakest song was Buddy Holly, because that was what I thought when I was a kid. But now, listening to it, there's only one song I really skipped, and it was what you mentioned. It was No One Else. No shit. Dude, it's just, I mean, musically, it's cool, but just like lyrically, it's just like so fucking like, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to listen to him. I'm, I'm embarrassed yeah. for him. Like, I mean, like, I'm trying to imagine a situation where like, I feel like it's okay <laughs> to tell the world that I don't want my girlfriend to laugh when other people tell jokes or to look at people. Like, what the <laughs> fuck, dude? <laughs> understand he was like 24 yeah. years old and who knows how old he was when he wrote that um, i don't think it's like an indicator for his overall existence or anything when i hear the song it's just like it's so far afield from how i feel about women that it just makes me just uh, it just makes me uncomfortable so i just like there's other stuff that makes me feel good on this album exactly i mean i haven't heard a lot about him talk about this song i don't know if like he's writing it as a character or if there's a lot of honesty in the song the whole album is kind of like it's like journal rock yeah. you know like you get these different emotions per track that are very serious and real and valid emotions mm -hmm. that we used to have as teenagers i mean he wrote most of these in 91 oh, yeah. before he even started the band i guess he went on like this 40 days in the desert deal where he would write 50 songs after avant-garde split up before he formed weezer just so he wouldn't have to feel the rejection of his mm. band disbanding so a lot of these tracks come from just a mirth of his feelings as pretty much someone that's just out into the new world, fresh out of fucking suburban Connecticut. <laughs> Are there any underrated songs on this album that either you underrated them or maybe you think fans underrate them? It's tricky, man. Like your singles on this album are Buddy Holly, Say It Ain't So, and Undone. And 
to be honest with you, I skip the sweater song too oh, really? these days. I feel like that's kind of got this smells like teen spirit vibe going for it. Like I've heard that before. Like I appreciate the message. <laughs> no one understands that you're depressed and they're not going to help you. They're only going to hurt you. But I'm known to skip that song. But for me, man, the underrated track here, it's only in dreams. No. I mean, this is one of those tracks is, is not just mm-hmm. like fun to still listen to, but the type that you like sit back and are like, Jesus, this is <laughs> fucking good. I mean, this is so tight, man. I, I mean, he's bringing back Big the guitar time. solo here and you've got your angst and your heartbreak in eight minutes. And it's just a summation of what the whole band is about. It's this giddy, fun Beach Boys stuff. And it's this, you know, rock kiss shit. And it's some internalized artistic Velvet Underground stuff, all influences of the band in one song. So, yeah, I don't think it gets enough love. That's interesting. I always feel like that's kind of like a, a crowd favorite, but maybe I'm just thinking of talking to our friend Aaron, who uh, I did this with him on his Whirly Oki bit. <laughs> <laughs> so fun. There's so much softness on this album and so much, I don't want to say trite, let's say um, so many light moments holiday really feels like an ender like i can imagine them ending yeah. shows playing that song mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. then only in dreams comes mm-hmm. on and it's like it certainly uh suggests that there's a deeper side to them a more serious side to come that we're going to get when pinkerton comes out i think that mm-hmm. for me the most underrated song on this album for me like not necessarily that fans underrate but going back and listening because i hadn't listened to this sure. in a while and I'm listening to the Surf Wax America, and I still know like every word. I even know the part where he like, you take your car, and he doesn't say two words. You know, I, I still mm-hmm. remember every part. I'm just like, I've never surfed a day in my life, but I really like talk about windows down, <laughs> kind of cruising song. Like that is just such a summer song, such a good yeah. feel good song. And when I think about mm-hmm. the album, that's never been one that I go to or think about. But like, damn, listening to it the last couple of weeks, getting ready for our episode, that's been one of the ones that has pulled me in the most. It's the type of song that works better in solidarity. Like, I have a very vivid memory of mm-hmm. driving down to Cedar Point with Johnny and Josh, Matt and Paul. Unless you know us, <laughs> you're not going to know these people. But these are guys I grew up with, man. And it's so fucking weird. It's like after the snow melts and the sun comes out in like April, you get in your car and put the Blue Album in if you're going on a road trip. And we did that on the way to fucking Cedar Point. Dude, I will never forget just putting on Surf Wax America and just having like five dudes crammed into this tiny car, just singing this at the top of their lungs. And I will definitely never forget when we got pulled over in Ohio immediately after crossing that state line. That Ohio cop was just waiting for us. And Matt was driving, so he rips Matt out of the car. And you know Matt, all exasperated, like, what, 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 what? The cop goes, (laughs) the cop is like, where are you headed? Where are you headed so fast? Where are you headed? Matt goes, we're going to Cedar Point. We're going to Cedar Point. The cop goes, not today. You're not going to Cedar Point today. I never thought it come to this. Now I can never go home. And meanwhile, you got Surf Wax America just blaring in the background. Just the funnest, sweetest song you can ever imagine and then just put this asshole ohio cop uh but yeah wait 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 did you go to cedar point that day or was he right did you not go 
oh, he got a ticket and we were able to go on our way. So I don't know what the hell he was threatening us with. Just enjoying <laughs> his power over children or near children, basically. <laughs> it's funny that yeah, you man. mentioned that is a vivid memory. I have an extremely vivid memory and is similar, involves this album and yourself. Sure. And our old friend Andy Johnston and mm. Brian Madison. You know what I'm talking about? Is this the we're the best one? No, this was uh, maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe maybe you weren't there. Weren't you part of four men in a truck singing Weezer? <laughs> I've never been in a, a moving oh, vehicle. That wasn't like, you? I, don't, I don't think that was me. Did you say you've never been in a moving vehicle? No, I always followed it and then like help somebody move. No, 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 no. I didn't say a moving truck, like a pickup truck. Oh, I thought you were talking about the moving company. Three men. Oh, I'm thinking of three no, men no. in a truck. No, no, no. no, no. no. Maybe I'm mistaken. I thought it was you. I know it was Brian Madison and Andy Johnston. And I guess I can't remember who the fourth person was, but we were in Andy Johnston's truck, which was like a bench truck. And it was a four person, you know, it was like really a two. Okay. I, in my mind for years, it's been you. I don't know. Whoever you're, you are out there, man, number four. I just remember <laughs> we were driving somewhere and like the four of us were sitting in a row in the front seat. Like it was just not nearly enough room for four grown men to be sitting together in a truck. And we just sang fucking Weezer at the top of our lungs. And we just had this great time singing Weezer in the truck together, just driving the roads of Heartland. And for years, whenever I saw, I guess the two of them, not whoever the third person was, not you, you know, we would reference like four men in a truck singing Weezer. But uh, that's one of my favorite high school memories that I misremember. Who was moving? No one was moving. <laughs> <laughs> I just said four men in a truck. I didn't say and a truck. I've I said never been truck. in Andrew Johnson's truck. No, okay. especially in high school. I wasn't allowed to leave my house. I wasn't in some uh, some kid's truck. I couldn't leave home. I don't know why I thought it was you. I don't know why. I was there in spirit. It was Madison and, and him anyway, and someone else, whoever's out there. If you, <laughs> if, you, if you know who you are, let me know. Email Travis. <laughs> Were you a man in a truck? In the 1990s, <laughs> listening to Weezer, email me at 9394podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Pinkerman's my all-time favorite album. Pinkerman is? Pinkerton. So if we're talking about like <laughs> post, like if you stuck with a band after this original classic. And did you? Like there's a huge conversation there. <laughs> well, it was weird. Like remember after Pinkerton, there was like this four-year hiatus, which is so strange because four years when we were teenagers seemed like a lifetime, like so much oh, yeah. stuff happens in four years. So from 96, when that dropped to the green album, there was like this mythos built around Weezer. Like, did they break up? And like, when's the next album coming out? And they came out with this tribute album, which is fucking fantastic. Further Seems Forever covered a track on there and it was fucking great. And it was like this legend had built around them. Like, and it was one of those things where like, it was like, if they only had these two albums, We've got like a yeah. Joy Division situation here. Like this is legendary. They dropped two they albums that are fucking there. bangers and then it's out. They should have stopped there. Yeah. <laughs> they, they didn't. They didn't. Uh, <laughs> no, they didn't. No, they sure didn't. I remember I waited in line with a friend who was a huge Weezer fan to pick up the green album and we got in her car and like put it in and I was just like, oh, what the fuck? What the fuck is this? Immediately. They're still releasing like an album per year almost or every other year. They got like 13 albums or something crazy like that. I'm like, I haven't checked in since the red album, which was like, okay, more of the same. Thank you. I'm good. Oh, Africa. Cool. Sounds just like the original. Yeah. People tweeted at us that they want us to cover Africa. Okay. We'll do that. We're taking fan requests now. <laughs> Dude, I did compose a list of like top 10 atrocities of Weezer post Pinkerton here. I mean, we've got 
a Shrek Forever After track, like oh a boy. special track for Shrek 4. We've got them changing the lyrics to We're All on Drugs from their Make Believe album in 2005 to We Are All in Love, just because MTV didn't want them to say wow. We Are All on Drugs in the song. They were like, okay, we'll go back into the studio and say We're All in Love. Totally changed <laughs> the meaning of our entire song. And we've got a fucking album dedicated to that fat dude from Lost, Hurley, an entire album. Really? Like, what? what is it? Yeah, yeah, really. Like, last night I'm in the bath, like, reading up on Weezer in preparation for this episode. I'm like... What the fuck happened after the green out? Like I stuck around after Maladroit and Make Believe, and then I cashed out in 2005. Even though I was trying to tell people that Make Believe was good, I was fooling myself. But after that, I mean, like you would not believe the stuff this band has been through. <laughs> but their edge was just gone. I laugh at it, but like this irascible quality that they once had and definitely had right after Pinkerton extinguished completely after that green album. It seems so obvious to infer. I feel like, and, and from what I've understood, it's pretty true what everyone assumed was true that the pushback on pinkerton and the kind of poor reception that it got although i mean for me i haven't listened to blue in fucking years i mean many many years but i've listened to pinkerton still pretty regularly as do a lot of people people love pinkerton but at the time it was kind of slammed i loved it at the time most people i know loved it at the time rolling stone called it one of the worst albums of the year right and they had to backtrack <laughs> maybe like three four years later and be like oh no it's <laughs> one of the best albums of all time fuck you <laughs> yeah so these assholes shit all over it and sent rivers into uh, is it rivers or river it is rivers i guess okay. he's plural <laughs> It sent rivers into a tizzy and into just, another depression, which, which is interesting because like of all the, like the dumb shit, it's subjective, but like we do have a guy that had serious issues with depression that mm -hmm. is very happy with what he does. And he never wanted to be a rock star in the first place. So one part of me says, I miss that edgy teen punker that was speaking to me a lot and I need him right now. But the other mm -hmm. one says, he's healthy now and he's happy. So let him do whatever the fuck he wants to. And who am I to say otherwise, let him sing songs with the fucking Muppets, but it's just <laughs> complicated. It makes for a very complex relationship with a band that I don't have with maybe no other bands. <laughs> and it's funny because like when you get down to it, most of us, our age, we really just listen to those first two albums anyways. Yeah. Did you ever get a chance to see him live? I never saw him live. I remember they were playing with the warp tour. I think around when the Green Album came, and I was just so bit by that album that I just couldn't bring myself to go. I was all pissed off, throwing my hands up in the air. That's what I saw. I believe they were playing with Modest Mouse opening, I want to say, which mm. I think was the main, uh, frankly, you know, I was like, yeah, I'll see Weezer. I really want to see Modest Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, well, I know Weezer's influenced by Cheap Trick, and Rick Ocasek, we didn't get the chance to talk about who helped produce the album. You know, he recognized that spark, which to do at that time in the early 90s is suggestive of a very talented artist. And the cars are fucking awesome. But yeah. I mean, I'm thinking, well, who did Weezer influence here? And that was kind of a tough thing to think about, especially after some of their first couple of albums. I don't think we have, I don't know, Travis, maybe the Ataris, Get Up Kid. It's tricky. I mean, the Get Up Kids were recording around the same time. We're not terribly long at all afterwards, so it's kind of hard to say. I do feel like their influence is huge musically, but it's not an easy one to pinpoint in other bands. Yeah. Maybe their influence is more on people's lives and just yeah. touching so many people. Yeah, definitely. A generation at least holds them really mm -hmm. close. Mm-hmm. 
What song do you want to use to go out on? I imagine you'd start the show with that incredible Jason Cropper, my name is Jonas Rift, that like you hear it and you're like, oh, I'm in. Like, bring it on, roll the windows down, give me my pack of Salem's and let's do this. But I mean, I guess we can do uh, host choice. Okay. Host choice it is. I like that. <laughs> I don't get that option often. Uh, <laughs> All right, anything else that you wanted to discuss or touch on about this album or this band before we move on to other things? It's clearly a touchstone album, man, from fantastic artists. The thing about it that I love about these artists is they were kind of misfits. Like in the original definition of the term, they were doing their thing in L.A. and they all came together from a love of music and different styles and approaches to music. And they ended up grabbing hold of a sound that really stuck and for that sound to have the qualities that it did which is a lot of vulnerability i think was really brave of them back in the time and i'm glad they got picked up this is a timeless album it never gets old for me so yeah i was excited to revisit it yeah i'm glad you chose it i knew someone would there's no way i was doing this podcast (laughs) and not covering this album but yeah again to reiterate just classic rock just some of the most Mm -hmm. classic rock for our people absolutely (laughs) Uh, are you listening to anything else that you'd like to share? Anything that you've been jamming? If you consider like really like relaxed light rock from the 80s, like Peter Cetera and uh, oh, sure. shit like that, you know, jamming, then that's kind of what I'm into nowadays. <laughs> light jamming. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm light jamming with Delilah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> are you ready for your uh, questions about the 90s? Bring it. I cannot wait. All right. Now, Eric, as you mentioned, you and I have a shared love of the unexplained and the paranormal and whatnot. I'm so excited. And also, you and I are uh, bound by our love of film, which includes a love of making film, more you than me these days. Mm -hmm. But we both love movies. And of course, Mm -hmm. this is a 90s podcast. So, this is the question I have for you. I'm going to give you five different paranormal events that reportedly occurred during the 1990s. You have an unlimited budget. You are directing and producing and writing. You get to take any of these five stories and make a whole film out of it. Now, most of these have had movies made out of them before, but they're like the stuff that shows up at the long end of the 2B track of horror. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) more found footage. Yep, I know that track. So you're going to put your spin on it. Please. And these are your options. In 1993... Eddie Burks, a famed ghost hunter from the uh, original Ghost Hunters TV show, he was hired by Couts and Company, one of the main banks in England called the Queen's Bank because the royal family banks there. And he was actually called to come and reportedly talk to a man who had been beheaded back in the day and convince him to leave the bank so that people would go to work safely. Mm -hmm. Pretty famous case. Another famous case that you and I have actually discussed before on Cinema 9 was the tragic death of Estefania Gutierrez Lazaro, Mm -hmm. a young teenager from Spain who unfortunately passed away in an apartment that was reportedly haunted, so reportedly, in fact, that the police officer who investigated actually wrote up the cause of death as being related to the paranormal. So that's an option. Mm-hmm. Yep. The classic Phoenix Lights situation. Mm-hmm. The famous incident in 1997 where lights flashed over the city of Phoenix, Arizona with scores and scores of 
witnesses, including the very same governor who like went on TV and made fun of people for claiming to have seen it when he, in fact, also was one of the witnesses that he admitted later. Yeah, Navy flares next. <laughs> Uh, the Wisconsin werewolf, the beast of Bray Road. The beast of Bray Road? The beast of Bray Road, the dogman or the bearwolf, yes. manwolf yes. thing that reportedly haunted this specific road in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, we have one of the most famous close encounter instances in world history. In 1994, children at the aerial school in Rua, Zimbabwe mm -hmm. were hanging outside when they saw these three balls come out of the sky and like a man supposedly came out of one of the balls and telepathically communicated with the children. There were 62 witnesses to this thing. Yep. These are your options. The yeah. Zimbabwe school, the Spanish <laughs> tragedy, the Queen's Bank, the Phoenix Lights, or the Beast of Bray Road. Which one are you making a movie about? Yeah, this is a no-brainer for me. I'm going to marry two legendary makeup artists, Rick Baker and Rob Bottin, coming out of retirement. And we're going nice. to give you the definitive Beast of Bray Road adaptation in its full glory. Okay, we're going to do this as a 90s period piece, full 90s soundtrack. We will be consulting this podcast for some of the uh, needle drops. And we're going to do it right because <laughs> something's out there that people can't explain. It's half dog, it's half man. And uh, we want answers, but we want them told entertainingly. <laughs> so uh, I'm looking forward to that. All right. The Beast of Bray Road. Is that what we're going to call it? The Beast of yeah. Bray Road? No, just Beast. Beast. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. All right. I look forward to that fine film from the Randstrom Studios. Sci-Fi Channel. <laughs> Don't do me wrong. <laughs> Who am I kidding? It's going to look like shit. The Redbox Streamer. The Redbox Streamer. Yep. <laughs> Does it exist? Probably. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you so much for coming on. I love you. Really appreciate you having me. I love you too, buddy. Thank you so much for coming with me and Eric on our little trip down memory lane there. It was really fun. It's always fun talking to him. And if you liked hearing us talk, you can hear us talk a whole bunch more. We mentioned that we have another podcast together called the Cinema 9 Podcast with our buddy Mike. We've been doing that for pushing four years now. Uh, over three anyway. And we talk about movies obsessively once a week. So check that out if you're interested. Eric is going to come back on, so you're going to hear more from him. And I even reached out to our friend Andrew Johnston, not to be confused with another guy I've mentioned on this show, Andrew Johnson, about that whole four men in a truck singing Weezer thing. I know it's imperative for you to learn exactly what specific memory I'm getting wrong here. But Andrew remembered, so shout out to he, myself, Justin Anderson, and Brian Madison, who were the original guys to be singing together in a truck together. The Songs of Weezer. And I guess they did it again later. And so it was like a running thing. And the more I talk about it, the more I'm like, well, this is an incredibly not unique experience. There has been lots of people who have been in cars singing Weezer. Uh, but for some reason, it was something that we referenced often after the fact. Any old who, 
Thank you again for listening. If you want to come on the show yourself, you are very welcome to. And in fact, Andrew Johnston said that he may come on the show himself. So looking forward to that possibility and the possibility of you yourself coming onto this podcast if you want to. You can talk about any album you want from 93 or 94. gonna need someone to come on and talk about pablo honey i mean i'm a radiohead fan of course most folks are but i'd like to find someone who loves their first album as much as the rest of their stuff and who doesn't kind of like skip it like i gotta do most of the time so if you're a big pablo honey fan shoot me a message at 9394 podcast at gmail.com or hit me up on the regular social media sites or if you want to do any other album let me know or just say hi that's always fine too and if you're liking the show, please rate, review, do all that kind of stuff. It helps build listenership, which is fun. And I am going to stop the podcast now. Yes, I am. That's it. Goodbye. Ninety-four, a music podcast with Travis Roy is a labor of love. It is not and never will be monetized. Please don't sue.